Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A safe space for self-exploration, questioning the status quo, and finding out who the fuck you are. Hey gang, thanks for joining us for the sixth episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Our guest today is Caitlin Kim, and we're going to be talking about Caitlin's experience growing up as a Korean American and how it shaped her outlook on life. We met at work during some particularly high stress times and bonded over our mutual need for comedic relief. Caitlin's shoot from the hip banter resonates because it serves as a reminder that it's possible to be keenly self-aware while also being self-deprecating. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Caitlin. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Hey, Nikki. Thanks for letting me or having me on the podcast. So uh, a little bit about myself. I grew up in West LA, which is pretty close to like Santa Monica area. Both my parents are super Korean um, and very traditional. I grew up with an older brother who is about 16 months older than me and then two younger sisters. Uh, One is five years younger and then the other is 12 years younger. Born and raised in LA, went to school in San Diego. Um, And then right after moved to Seattle, which pissed my parents off a lot. No, that's good. That's a good jumping off point. You said, you know, that your parents are super Korean. I'm curious what exactly that means. So they hold on to those very traditional values, meaning they are really strict, disciplined, kind of everything that you would think of a Korean culture. They try to instill in us and kind of led to some hard times growing up, but they're just really strict, I would say. Do you think that that fits pretty well into the stereotype that's been created? I I hate to follow stereotypes. I don't like to find myself leaning into them. Although at the same time, I can easily say that I fit certain stereotypes for myself in many ways. And obviously they're there for a reason. You know, I think it's a matter of, are you taking it literally and limiting yourself to believe that that's the only way somebody can be, or is it just spot on because it happens to be the way that some people are? No, I mean, I think the stereotype is true, right? Uh, Koreans or just Asians in general are stereotypically really smart. And that's because we go through very gruesome schooling and we are taught to believe that education is the most important thing no matter what. Um, So getting A's on everything and just prioritizing your studies is the most important thing to get a good job. So basically from the time you are old enough to have the capacity to learn, you're on that trajectory to figure out how you're going to learn as much as possible and be able to apply that as much as possible going into college and ultimately your career. Yeah, pretty much. There was no flexibility when it came to school. Okay. So what was that like for you growing up, particularly as uh, as a child? I think that that feels quite restrictive in a way that I wouldn't be able to understand. My parents were very much academically focused, but there were also other focal points that I think pulled away from that and allowed me to feel like I had a little bit more freedom in what I was able to do. Did you ever have that sense or was it really like, this is the track you're on? Yeah, it was the track I was on. And I think, I mean, every kid is afraid of disappointing their parents, but for me specifically, it was like, I would come home with a B and it would be the end of the world. If I didn't come home with a 4.0 plus GPA, it was 
Like, what are you doing? And it was all really centered around the fact that my parents had an outline for me. They were like, you were going to go to school. You were going to go to med school. You're going to be a doctor and you're going to make the family very proud. Um, so there was no really deviating from that plan. So any extracurriculars that would take away time wasn't on the books. That's really interesting. Could you tell me a little bit about what your parents do for a living? And did they follow the same, I guess, protocol for going down that path of being a doctor or a lawyer? Um, no, actually, no one in my family is a doctor or a lawyer, really, f- funnily enough, right? Like, um, but uh, my dad is a, a an accountant, and he, his dad was an accountant as well, but my mom uh, is a stay-at-home mom, so they got married really young. My mom was 21, popped out a kid by 22. In the Korean culture, the man works, the woman stays at home. So my mom just raised all the kids while my dad works these insane hours. You said you have an older brother and two younger sisters. Are any of them on track or working in one of those fields? No, actually, I probably came the closest, but my brother um, kind of dabbled in a bunch of different things. But he, he never went the med route, uh, the med school route, or the lawyer route. He's, I think, in sales now. And then my younger sister is in college for communications. Okay, well, I can speak from experience that communications degrees are super useful. I'm sure when applied to wanting a job that has health benefits or anything that would really provide some sense of security. But that's why you freelance podcast. (laughs) So when you were growing up and, you know, your mom was was stay at home and, and your dad was working a lot. Obviously, you said that education was a really big focus. So was your mom really heavily involved in your educational endeavors or was that more uh, just kind of keeping you accountable to them? She was involved in the sense that she would, you know, go to her go to our like teacher, like parent conference, checking grades all the time. I mean, she, I think up until middle school, I mean, when you're in elementary school, there isn't really that much, but um, from middle school to high school, this is where a, a big chunk of the placement for high school is going to happen. So depending where you are in your math level, history, English, so on and so forth. So we had tutors, we had like Saturday school, we had extra school, like extra math classes on top of everything. So she was more involved in the sense that she would put more and more on me and provide these like extra help kind of versus just like school is enough. Obviously, that sounds like your parents felt, you know, they're doing all this in your best interest. But at the same point in time, do you feel like that is actually how it worked? Or do you think it was a little bit counterproductive in that it maybe... I'm coming from a place where I think that would just stress me the fuck out. And I would have a really hard time honing in on that in a way that would maybe be able to please my parents. So did you feel like that was useful or did you feel like it was more pressure that just created maybe some distance for you? Yeah, it definitely was more pressure. It was this pressure to do well and it was the pressure to not disappoint. Um, And because they were spending so much money on tutors and so much money on extra schooling, there was no other choice except to perform like amazing, uh, amazingly well. I mean, and you had tutors, were those tutors because you needed tutors or those were tutors to make sure that your A's stayed A's? Yeah, it was tutors. I mean, I, I will say like I was always in the 
math class above me. So it was tutors to make sure that I was studying all of the material before I started to learn it and then during it to also do really well on the test and get through any sort of subjects that I had issues with. That just feels to me thinking about growing up and knowing how much is going through your mind and your body and everything already that to add that level of rigor and intensity to the scope of what you're just trying to navigate as a teenager or a preteen, it just feels, it honestly, and this is no disrespect to your family or any culture that prioritizes education, but it just feels like it starts to compromise who you are as a person because you lose sight of the things that are making you feel fulfilled and you're focusing so, and maybe education does make you feel fulfilled, but to do anything with that level of focus certainly takes away from other things. Did you have other activities that you were able to engage with that were your choice? Did you play sports or anything like that that they would have uh, they would have approved of or was that not really on the table for you? Yeah, that wasn't, I, I had no other time. Even if I wanted to pick up a hobby, it wasn't something that my parents really supported. Uh, the only thing that they supported was piano because they put me in piano um, and that was, for the, it, it's mainly because it looks really good on the parents if your kid is really good at playing an instrument. Also, the fact that if I wanted to play a sport, it wasn't really it wasn't really allowed because number one, it's expensive. Number two, it would take time away from actually studying. Um, and also number three, it just even if I wanted to play soccer or something, like couldn't because my shins would be all bruised up. And as a first daughter, you can't. You, it, it doesn't look good on the parents. So as the first daughter, does that mean that your other siblings were able to play sports or do yeah. anything like that? Oh, yeah. So my 21-year-old <laughs> yeah, so go, sister, it's, it's such, it's crazy. I feel like even though there is some of the like male to female, not discrepancy, but you know, they're, they're like my brother standard. was favored for sure um, in terms of the fact that like he got away with a lot more things. There weren't as many consequences. As the first daughter, you are like it's ingrained in you that you help your parents no matter what you kind of are the one that stays behind for them you are the like leader because I had two other sisters it was like I was a second parent I pretty much raised them but my 20 year old sister played volleyball she did whatever she wanted um no curfew for her nothing talk about bruises if you're playing volleyball you're getting beat up yeah and I think (laughs) I think it's the fact that me and my brother were so close in age and then my sister came along five years later so by that time kind of my parents learned how to parent us and then they just parented differently with each kid after. I I do think that some of that probably came from just what you're saying and your desire to move beyond your limitations of your childhood and the way that you grew up is that you maybe gave them a little bit more clarity on what it was that would be maybe more fair or helpful to your younger siblings to be able to not deal with some of the things that maybe frustrated you about like not being able to play sports or things like that. Do you think that that played in it all? Or do you think it was just sort of, they shifted gears and it gets fine, just go ahead and do it. Well, I will say I was, um, I think for me versus my brother, I was extra careful about not disappointing my parents, but I made, I voiced that I wish I was kind of like the other kids that were in my grade that got to play extra sports and that got to do all these things on the weekends and I wasn't like that. So I think my parents started to see that 
their extremely strict and disciplined ways weren't going to it wasn't going to work for every child. I will say like my brother probably rebelled a lot more than I did. And then my 21 year old sister, she was very much like my brother. So, and they saw that. So immediately they put her in private school, like an all girls private school, because they were just trying to contain her a little bit more and try to focus her studies. And then with the last one, they were just kind of a free for all. This <laughs> is what happens when you come last, just do what you're exactly. going to do. So one of the things that I, I maybe should have asked sooner was, can you tell me a little bit about your family's experience coming to the States and maybe how that impacted the way your parents parent as well? Yeah. My parents came over here um, and they grew up in South Korea. So they they moved to the U.S. when they were 12 or 13 years old. So they're more like a 1.5 generation is what they like to say. But when they came here, it was kind of that like token Asian like story, uh, stereotype or slash story of, you know, they came with $100 in their pocket and tried to make do with everything. My dad's dad was a military guy, um, but he was also really strict um so he never learned to speak english my parents eventually learned because they went to college here but i think because my grandparents were so strict and they they really stuck to their roots there was there was really no assimilating for them so they they moved into a very korean neighborhood only had korean friends so i think that's why my parents stuck to it so much is because they grew up with only that and they didn't assimilate as well and they moved us to a predominantly white area so we didn't have korean friends growing up and we they stuck to a lot of the very traditional and kind of the cultural parts of the korean like the korean culture where like we would eat dinner together all the time there was really no going out and socializing with other people on the weekends because it's kind of family time or you're studying all the time things like that so i I see kind of the difference because my mom assimilated a little bit better than my dad did in that she was really understanding about the fact that we grew up in a really American culture, but my dad didn't really, it didn't click for him that much. So we would say like, oh, we would want to go on a sleepover. And he's like, why? Like you see your friends at school, why do you need to spend extra time with them? So um, it was always kind of this divide between like my dad, my mom, and then how my grandparents kind of impinge their opinions on how we grew up too. That raises the question, how involved were your grandparents in your life growing up? Because Korean culture and Asian culture in general, to my knowledge, is very, like you were saying, family focused, but especially when you look at, you know, kind of kids starting to take care of their parents at some point as well. Plenty of European cultures are like this as well. I actually think American culture is predominantly the one that's like, that's fine, you guys figure it out. Uh, thanks for raising me. Good luck with that. But were you close with your grandparents or your cousins or anything? Did your, I didn't even, I guess I don't even know. Do your parents have siblings as well that were um, in the States? Yeah. So, I mean, my grandparents lived down the street from me. So they were kind of involved in our, um, in the parenting, in our parenting. Like I would say that my dad's parents were probably way more involved just because my grandpa always had an opinion on what we did um and it was almost like we always had to pass it through to him first before we did anything um and i i truly believe my grandpa was the reason why my dad was very very strict on us growing up because my grandpa would always be like 
you know, why, why are they growing up with only white kids? Like where, where's their Korean friends and all these kind of things. Um, and I think also another big part of my dad's parents being so strict on us was because we were the only kids that didn't know how to speak Korean. Um, all my cousins knew how to speak Korean, but, um, and me and my cousins were all really similar in age. Did your uh, extended family live also in proximity to you guys? Pretty close. I mean, they all lived in Los Angeles for a bit and then they moved to Washington eventually. Okay. Is that how you sort of like thought to even come here or was that completely unrelated completely unrelated i mean i came here because of Grey's anatomy and i saw the space needle and i was like that's the place for me i love it (laughs) it's like a really good just like finger in the wind decision to make i would be lying if i said i wasn't a massive Grey's fan when it originally came out that's a topic for another day so you know you were saying that some of it factored in potentially your your parents trying to meet their own parents' expectations, your dad trying to meet your grandfather's expectations, and that you and your siblings didn't speak Korean. Uh, Did you ever speak Korean? Was that something that you grew up with in your house and then just stopped, or how how was that for you? Yeah, my parents, when we were growing up, we only spoke Korean um, up until we were probably when we were enrolled in kindergarten. And at that point, my dad said, we're not speaking Korean anymore. You have to learn English because we don't want you to have any sort of accent because he didn't want us to get bullied um and so he they stopped speaking korean to us and we only started speaking english english and then we lost it all and so by the time we were probably fourth or fifth grade we didn't know how to communicate with our grandparents anymore that's really a drastic shift is did you think that they had a reason behind not wanting you to speak korean at all as opposed to being more bilingual was it the concern with the accent more than anything else i you know i have no idea what was going through my dad's head because it's like now they always kind of get mad at us for not trying to learn korean on our own and trying to communicate with our cousins more and our grandparents but like back then it was I really think that is he just didn't want us to get bullied. And this is kind of his first time enrolling us in a school that was predominantly white. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a noble reason in the sense that it's very kind hearted to say, I don't want you to be bullied and I want to protect you from that. And at the same point in time, the older you get, the harder it is to learn a language and you had already had the foundation for it. So there is this sense of how much more well-versed could you be in communicating had you learned it earlier and been able to keep it in conjunction with learning English as opposed to uh, having to attempt to learn it ad hoc on your own as an adult. But what would inspire you to learn Korean? Yeah, nothing now. (laughs) Nothing, because I don't have um, Korean friends or I don't have super Korean friends and I don't talk to my grandparents. I think it's It's not that I don't talk to them, but I think I've accepted the fact that I can't speak Korean and I probably will never learn to speak Korean, that I just will always rely on my parents to be kind of the translators for me. Um, And it's not like I blame them for not speaking Korean to me while growing up. They still somewhat speak Korean, but I like, I just, I, we lost it when we were younger. We, they never spoke it to us. We never really were. Um, it was never really put in our head that we had to only learn Korean and that we had to speak it like all the time when we're home. So when they spoke English to us when we were growing up, it was kind of like, well, we lost it because we never spoke spoke it. Yeah, and I, to be completely fair, I mean, that's what most 
people who have come to America historically have done. My ancestors did it. You could not speak Italian. You could not speak German. You had to learn English because that was the language that you would be speaking here. And I certainly commend the, um, the approach to be more multilingual now. I think that there is a much different way of thinking about it now than when we were growing up and that it is more, I mean, you just hear so many of my friends in Seattle are bilingual Spanish because they come from Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Mexico, like they're all over the world and they're able to speak these languages and have conversations with each other. And I'm the gringa who can't understand any of it. And I'm just like, sure. Did you say something about a beer or the bathroom? That's about all I know. And so I think like just, um, from the, the language perspective that creates a little bit of a barrier between yourself and your family and probably your culture as well. Do you feel like that's accurate? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we were probably the least like favorite, um, grandkids because we didn't speak any sort of Korean. So, um, especially on my mom's side, my, my mom's parents, my mom's dad is always so mean to me and my siblings because none of us really know how to speak Korean or communicate with him. So he kind of always calls us like a little, they'll, he'll call me like a little brat in Korean. Um, that's just kind of like, that's how I, my relationship with my grandpa, my mom's side, it was a very like surface level, but it was a lot of him kind of yelling at my mom for us not speaking Korean and not being more kind of ingrained in that culture and it was I I know it was hard for my mom because you know we're growing up in a super predominantly white area so she doesn't want us to feel left out but at the same time how much does she keep pulling us back Um, and especially because my mom and my dad have a little bit of different parenting styles it was hard for them to be on the same page when it came to kind of Korean culture part so I feel like you have enough challenges as a parent to align with each other on anything let alone if you have something that is so deeply important to you both but you have some philosophical differences on and then you're trying to relay that to your children yeah but so. it was it was always my my, my dad's way so it, even though they had different parenting styles whatever my dad said it went yeah. Um, Speaking to your comment earlier about that really being the hierarchy in a Korean household. Yeah, it's whatever my dad said, and it, it's always very like and it's different now, but it's like women should be at home. It's kind of what I remember growing up with. Yeah. So you've talked a bit about what it was like for you feeling the impact of being Korean in your Korean home. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you when you were younger and you were in school and you said you were growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood? Do you remember when you first felt a sense that you were you were different in some way? I that you were like I said earlier like I didn't want to use the word minority because it feels taboo, but it is really just such a small percentage of the United States that is made up of Korean Americans. So do you have a recollection of when that moment really came to fruition for you? Like this is something that I feel maybe is a bit isolating or was that even the feeling that you had? Yeah, I I would say I probably felt it the most in middle school. I went to school in Brentwood. So I think there were three other Korean kids in my class and they 
um, they actually weren't, they didn't really grow up Korean American. They grew up very Korean. So they didn't speak English that well, but it was always, I remember getting comments like, oh, like Caitlyn should just kind of be grouped with all the other Korean people just because like, that's who she looks like. I remember just the clicks and just like the little groups in, in middle school where I had maybe like three or four white friends, but for the most part, they always, people were always like, oh, just go over to the Korean table. It's so just like unbelievably naive and not surprising. I mean, we've all seen Mean Girls, right? But they're always lumping people together in that way. And it's not something that I personally had to deal with growing up surrounding the way that I looked necessarily. I mean, I got bullied and and projected upon for different reasons for how I looked, but it was never something that I could walk into a room and you're like, that is the obvious difference between this person and this other group of people. And I've had this conversation with um, my friends who are biracial or black as well. And for as much adversity as I've faced in my life for other reasons, I, that is just something that really is so far removed from my capacity to understand is that like, if you look in a mirror and you look different than somebody else in enough of a way, that's going to start to define who you are to them without them knowing you at all. And did you feel like that was limiting for you in terms of getting to know people and, and building friendships? Yeah, I think always, people always just refer to me as the super smart Asian girl. I mean, there's worse. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there totally is worse. But I just remember there was a Korean clique at my middle school that was, they were very Korean, um, but they actually hated me because I they said that I was a banana, like I was too white to be Korean. Um, and I think it's because I I did so much to fit into like the like the cliques that with all the white girls. Um, I would do things like try to blonde, like uh, dye my hair a little bit blonder so I can fit in with them a little bit more. Um, and if like they got a certain haircut, I would get the same haircut because I didn't want to look too Asian. Um, and I remember the day that I got bangs and I thought it was supposed to be side bangs, but it was like real bangs. And I looked the most Asian I've ever looked in my life. And I just was terrified of going to school because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to look so Korean. Um, But yeah, it was, it was limiting in making friends because (laughs) I, I like, I, like I would only be able to make friends. Like my friend group in middle school, they were the more like very chill, like they didn't care about the parties and everything. So I think that's why I got accepted into that group. But if even if I tried to talk to another group of girls that were like, you know, the beach blonde hair with the blue eyes and the like really short shorts, like they would kind of just look at me weird. Like we, I, me and my brother were just never really accepted into that group. That's something that I can relate to on a different level. I definitely had those moments where it felt especially in your teenage years. It is such a weird, awkward time for everybody. And so the people who are very clicky like that and very unaccepting tend to be the ones that later in life you can look back at and be like, good thing like I didn't fall in with you, I guess. (laughs) But at the time, it's very disheartening. And I had, you know, the way that I dressed, the way that I behaved in certain ways, I mean, people were predicting my lesbianism before I ever came out. So it was like not really smooth sailing for me in middle school. But that similar feeling of like, how do I fit in? What can I do to feel like I belong here? And what's scary about that? And 
honestly, part of why I started this podcast to begin with is being more forgiving of ourselves for wanting to be so like everybody else when being who we are is actually the most important thing. The idea that acceptance has to happen because people are the same is so archaic. I think there's predispositions to it, like you were saying about your parents and this sense of this is, we're Korean, let's live in a Korean community and take on Korean culture and really embrace that. Uh, people of any ethnicity tend to do that. I'm not, I didn't grow up in one of those big Italian families that does all the stuff Italian families do. So I actually felt a little bit isolated because we didn't have that type of culture in our family. And so like, there's different things that come together or fall apart for you as you're growing up and you depending upon where you are, whether it's at home or at school, you're doing different things to try to basically camouflage yourself with whatever group you're with at the time. And I would say it wasn't until I actually moved to Seattle about a little over two and a half years ago that it felt like shedding all of that. It was asking myself what I really wanted, what I cared about and what was important to me in terms of being authentically who I am and what would I do to be able to project that more than this need to to fit in with everybody else. But this is, I don't know, almost 20 years later that I'm coming to this realization after having so many of those similar sensations of, I don't really fit in here. I can do everything I possibly try and I still feel like I'm a little bit removed from this situation. And so, while there's not that cultural barrier for me, I certainly can relate to what you're talking about because it's something that at the time you sort of just go through the motions and you deal with it because that's all you can do. But looking back on it, how do you feel that that's impacted you as you've grown into your own adulthood and started making decisions for yourself about the people that you wanna be surrounded by or the things that you wanna do in your life? I think because the Korean culture was so limiting um, and just kind of growing up, like just being a little bit different than like all of the people that surrounded me. Um, I And the fact that I really, really wanted to fit in, I only made friends with white people. Like I only ever dated white people, like all of that. It was um, like, I really, like really rejected my Korean culture um, to the point where I'm just like, I don't want to learn Korean. I don't really care about it. Like I don't like going to a Korean church, any of that, because I didn't really want to like be labeled as that. Um, and then when I moved to Seattle and I was finally kind of able to be myself, I think a big part of kind of being away from my parents' influence, I was like, all right, it's kind of okay to be Korean, but I still pretty like predominantly have white friends. I think I have, like I've started to make a few Korean American um, friends, but only the ones that are very much like me, where we're straight up Twinkies, bananas, whatever you call it. Like we are, they speak English perfectly. They grew up the same way I did. Um, and even if I have friends that kind of grew up in Korea and came here um, and still hold a really like a very Korean base to them, it's kind of hard for me to relate to them because I just, I'd, I know how that is, but I've just spent so much time rejecting it that I'm like, it's almost like, two different identities like who am I yeah that's that makes total sense to me I the closest I can come to it is thinking about my sexuality and growing up with like a group of people who knew me for 
so many years and I was in a place where I was never going to be out. I didn't feel comfortable with it. I didn't want anybody to know, even when I lived there, when I was out, when I was married, I didn't want to go back to my hometown and see people that I went to high school with and have to have those weird interactions. So I totally get what you're talking about in that respect. It's very interesting to see how you sort of splice your life to fit where you are. And even when you're authentically being yourself, I do think that there is some sense of, it's more about the level of comfort that you're talking about, right? Is that it's not as much that you're rejecting Korean culture now because it's a, it's less about defiance and more about now it just doesn't really fit with your lifestyle because that's not how you basically raised yourself in that capacity, right? Like you, you grew up with very strict guidelines. This is how you're going to do things. This is where you should fall on the spectrum of your Korean culture. And by pushing away from that, you were able to say, okay, this is who I am. This is the life I'm defining for myself, but there's still something that inherently draws you back to what you grew up with. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, even now I think about it and I think about like, who am I going to marry? And my my dad is pretty um, strict about you only marry a Korean man. That's, that's it. You don't marry outside of the Korean, uh, the Korean culture. I, the, I, no one else is okay. So even when I brought home my first Korean boyfriend, like, and we did not mesh well. We were like complete opposites. Was he as you would define super Korean? Yeah, super Korean. Like everything that you think about a mom, like, putting their son on a pedestal, that was it. Okay. Um, and I was, uh, I was like, cut it out, out I'm out. <laughs> um, but even like, I could never just bring home whoever I wanted. Um, so even in the dating world now, for me, I'm like, there's always something in the back of my mind where it's like, I have to bring him a Korean guy. It can't be anyone else. So now I'm on the hunt for like a Korean American. <laughs> but it's my, it's like kind of that, like you're saying the pulling back where, I reject a lot of a big part of it, but it's kind of instilled in me that I need to still, uh, you know, make my parents happy, and I can only bring home specific type of types of people and only tell them specific types of news. You have to only tell them really good news, or like show them I'm excelling at life. But you can't really tell them the downfalls because then it just makes them disappointed. I, I can also relate to that. It's probably fairly common for most child parent relationships where you know it's harder to open up about the things that are difficult to talk about even in just recent months with my own parents having to make the conscious decision to say I don't agree with what you're saying and I'm going to tell you what I think about this and it's hard and I'm going through an emotional time and I need you to give me this type of support in this way I've never done this before in my life it was terrifying and I guess what? They showed up for me when I actually said it, right? So I think part of it is as children with such specific guidelines or rules in place that we grow up with in this mindset that we've been just accustomed to, to challenge that feels like a disappointment. To to say to my parents, I want to talk more openly about things that are hard for me to talk about, which I don't want to talk to anybody about to begin with was such a big thing because my parents have said my entire life, like, you can talk to us about anything. And I recently said to my mom, because she said it again, I know that, but 
Don't you think maybe that the fact that you don't talk about these types of things makes me feel like I can't, even if you're telling me I can? And it's a little bit of that lead by example mindset, which it sounds like a little bit in that in that way too for you is how can I explain to you that I have a difference of opinion or a different uh, feeling about this? Maybe it's not good news. Maybe it's something that I'm struggling with, but I don't want to disappoint you. And if disappointing you is what's always at the forefront of my mind, how am I ever supposed to do what I really want that's best for me? Because I'm afraid that that's going to create distance between us. Like, is that something that goes through your head when when you are in those moments where you're giving them good news, but you're maybe feeling something else? Like, do you do you have that kind of push and pull with yourself, with your engagements with your parents? Or are you sort of like, I just don't talk to them about it. It is what it is. I would say I'm probably closest to my mom. So I, I am a little bit more comfortable. And as I've gotten older, I have been more comfortable telling her kind of the bad things or if I'm struggling um, being able to be open with her about that and so she's a lot more accepting um, with my dad it's a it's a little bit of a different story where he's also I mean it's, I don't know if it's a Korean thing but he's just very closed off so um, probably not a Korean thing but he there's like no emotions um, that really get shared like I don't share many emotions with him we don't really talk about super deep stuff because I've only ever really known him growing up as the really strict parent that would say no. A bit more authoritarian. Yeah. Um, And I was more scared to piss off my dad than I was to piss off my mom because I think my mom did lead a little bit more by, uh, uh, lead by example words. She kind of made it okay for us to tell her certain things um, while my dad didn't. I definitely had similar dynamics with my family growing up as well, kind of having the one parent that you feel is a little bit more of your trusted resource. So when you were talking about dating, your parents having that expectation for you to to marry a Korean man, do you think that that's something that like you, you know, you said you have in the back of your mind? Is that sort of like if it happens great but if not I'm not going to like pursue it like are there Korean dating apps there have to be right like have you tried like koreandate.com or whatever it probably is like they have like Filipino Cupid we always watch 90 Day Fiance and that's the thing that comes up Uh, I honestly I don't know if there's like an app that only has like for Korean people but I mean when I grew up when I was in LA and I was dating We, um, you could put preferences. So I would usually say Asian just because I kind of like when I was 21, 22 years old, I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to date to marry at this point. So I should probably only find an Asian person. Um, and I think even now I, if I brought home an Asian person, like something other than Korean, my dad would probably still be upset. Like visibly upset. Do you think he would have a moment when that person walked in the door? Yes. And the person would know it. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to- totally. Yeah. My dad does not hide his emotions very well. No where face. You will see it on his face. Um, but he would be the most comfortable with the Korean man. Asian 
any Asian man would be like second and then everything else is like below the line. Is there any Asian culture that like your parents would be really upset about you bringing home? Because yeah. obviously there's intercontinental conflict. Oh, there totally is. My dad, and it's like, it's, it's. I mean, just Koreans and Asians in general are like really racist, but let's face it though. Like, I mean, everyone I, is. We can try as hard as possible to say things exactly politically right, but there will always be the group of people who are say it's generational. This is just what I call these types of people. And you're like, okay, I, you can't stop everybody from saying everything kind of wrong. So, I mean, broad stroke, everybody has a bit of a cavalier attitude, regardless of where they're from. Mm -hmm. It just depends on how, I guess, outward and possibly like lined with hatred that is, or if it's more, comedic as we've talked about because you have a very part of the reason that prompted me to even do this episode with you was just like how much you talk about the Asian stereotypes in a way that is laughable like you just sort of rip on yourself all the time yeah. and you're like it's just because I'm Asian and I'm like okay now I'm just gonna start saying these things yeah. to you <laughs> um yeah I mean I always say like if you see a bad driver on the road it's probably an Asian woman but I always tell my I, I always tell people I'm, a, I'm an awesome driver because I grew up in LA yeah. so it's like I can get from point A to point B in like two minutes less than what Google Maps says. <laughs> I love it. And you're like, it's fine. I've hit three cars on the way, but nobody's counting those. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm an Asian woman, so yeah. it's fine. But I guess um, in terms of like my dad, it, who I bring home and like the Asian culture, like like number one, like he would want a Korean person. Number two, like I, I would say like Chinese would probably be the closest thing. He wouldn't be, be mad, but like Chinese would be second or Japanese. And then kind of everything else falls like it's not even four, five, six, it's like 10, 11, 12. Um, and that's He's like, you can bring home the Korean American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can bring home the Korean American, but he wants to be able to like speak Korean to them. He wants to make sure that they have a really good, good background, their parents are good. The number one thing is always, they need to have a good job, their parents can't be crazy, and they can't come from a broken family. And it's because it's they are so set in this idea that if the person I marry has any of these faults, it's just going to come into my like proliferate. Yeah. Interesting. I find that I can understand wanting a good job. I can understand not wanting crazy parents, yeah. crazy in-laws. Guess what though? You can't stop that from okay. happening. Like, unfortunately there's too many stories out there. It's like, it doesn't matter. You don't get to pick those people, but the broken family, you know, basically being a child of divorce is what that sounds like. Right. So is, what is that? outlook in Korean culture is that just say you don't get divorced yeah you don't you don't get divorced my parents are very much the type that when you marry someone you you marry them and you're stuck with them like there is no divorce option so even when my dad's friends were getting divorced it was you can tell that there was a little bit of a you don't want that kind of attitude and so for me he wants us all married once and that is done done so yeah that's a lot of pressure too, especially if somebody is to be in an unhappy marriage and ultimately having to make that choice. I imagine, you know, there's a lot that goes into making a decision to leave a marriage in general, let alone if you're feeling additional pressure from your family. So do you feel like that has added to 
you know, you feeling pressure when you're dating. Like if I'm going to marry this person, you better be the right one. Like don't fuck it up. Oh, 100%. Um, I probably wouldn't introduce anyone to my parents if, unless I knew they were going to be accepting of it. Cause I wouldn't want to put that, the boyfriend through that. <laughs> like yeah. I would feel so bad doing that to him. So it totally, it does put a lot of pressure on it, which is why when I first moved home and I was dating, I would only look for specifically Korean American, Korean Americans, because, because it was like, this is who I'm going to marry. And I don't want to date outside the circle because there's no use because my parents will never accept them. So why, why waste my time? So I have a question about Korean culture then and homosexuality, because I'm not familiar. Like, I mean, it's a, like, I feel like I know the answer, but like, talk to me a little bit about it because I don't want to be presumptuous, but the look on your face right now is about to tell me a lot. And a lot of it, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of other cultures probably have this and they're not as accepting, but it is, homosexuality is like not a, not a thing. My dad, when my brother got an earring, my dad just flipped out. He's like, what if people think you're gay? And it's like all these things. And it's my brother for me, my brother was like, it was never really about that. It was because all my friends are getting in. I want to fit in with them. And I don't think it's a bad thing. And my dad's like, no, 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 no. You need to take it out right now because think about how people are going to perceive you and how it's going to make us look. So um, I think a lot of that is just because my grandparents were very strict about that. It was man and a woman. They're traditional. So I think there's a lot of different factors that play into it. But I'm telling like, if I try to come home with a woman, my dad would be like, you're disowned. You're no longer in the family. We're not talking like we're cut off. That to me is sort of like the ultimate fear to have when I was coming out. And I was pretty sure that wouldn't be the case. My parents and I had a lot of turbulence during that whole period, but there was never a moment where that happened. And I asked that question particularly because I think that there is definitely, culturally speaking, like that is a very definitive thing. Uh, And if I were growing up in in plenty of other European cultures as well, I mean, I'm not going to restrict it to Asian cultures, but there's just a lot of places where you can live where it's like your parents are saying, we want you to date and marry a Korean man. What if it was a Korean woman? And you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna marry a Korean man, but it's she's she's Korean, guys. I got half of it, right? Like, no, it needs to be the man first, and it could be go through all of the races first, and then it's the woman. It's like that's the bottom, bottom. Or I just don't get married at all. Yeah. They just don't accept it. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, okay, literally, like, have you gone through every single country that has any sort of <laughs> no, pretty male much? Population. Yeah, you you need to have a PP, and then my dad's like, <laughs> that's better than a VV, so. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, So you have talked a lot about kind of trying to escape the culture to feel more aligned with who you are personally. And is there a part of you now that you've separated, like you have some more distance between you and your family in terms of just literal locale? Um, Do you feel more proud of your heritage now than you did when you were younger? Do you still feel like you're just sort of, you know, it's part of you, but it isn't very definitive for you? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I think after moving here and not being super close to them, I still don't really relate to it. I will every now and then go get Korean food and, you know, like the server always try to speak to me in Korean because I look Korean and I just respond in really broken Konglish. It's, and so they're like, oh, you don't speak Korean. I'm like, nope, 
I don't, and I'll try to say it in Korean. And I'll, you know, like I'll say, yeah, I don't know how to speak Korean very well, but they always kind of give me a look, and it's almost, it's almost like they're disappointed that I don't like, speak. Like, how Korean. dare you not speak? Yeah, the language. but even now, I'm like, I'm finding out who I am and kind of what I like, and I, I say I'm an alpha female, and I will, I joke about it, but it's, it's because. Korean women are usually pretty submissive and I completely try to like block that out completely and I try to do everything opposite of that. Well, I can attest to that just professionally speaking. You're very much a go-getter. You're somebody who has a lot of capacity to do on your own and I really admire that about you. You have a great attitude and you're very self-sufficient and when you made the comment earlier that when you were in your early 20s that you if you were dating you would date to marry it's like it actually shocked me to hear you say that because it's surprising to me that like you would even have that inkling in your brain knowing you not in that mindset now like having years have passed and you're independent you're very much you know I'm living my life for me which I I admire and I wish in my 20s I had had the capacity to really be as well thought out about it as it sounds like you are and I think maybe some of that came from just your experience growing up and wanting to figure that out sooner than later. Yeah, I was almost kind of like the tether and it broke finally. I and like I was able to just like start like becoming myself without this influence of what you were supposed to be as a Korean and growing up with Korean fam- of Korean families. So it definitely is not as much pressure being here um, in Seattle and my parents not having kind of the final say on everything I do. But it's also the the financial freedom of my dad would kind of always hold that over me. Like you live under my roof. It's my rules, my money. Um, and as soon as I got away from that, there was no hold anymore. There was not that like, you you can't do this. I mean, I will say like the sort of tiger mom, tiger dad. Influence. I was going to use the phrase and then I was like, I don't think I should say that first. No, it, no, it's, it's there though. It is. I, if I call them with anything, any sort of news, I, I can always expect a little bit of the, uh, the tiger nest come out of, but I'm just not as afraid anymore. Yeah. I will say though, like when it comes to certain things, like who I marry and kind of how I present myself, I still, I will always still think of my parents, but I think that's just anyone in general. I mean, I certainly feel that way. Unless there is just so little, I don't know, expectation of you from your parents, I think most people have that. And I think that's one of the hardest parts about living life as an adult and becoming who you are, because Moving to Seattle was really the turning point for me, and that was less than three years ago. I'm 34 now. So it took me getting into my 30s and actually returning home, being in the environment that I grew up in for so long. I went to school in Connecticut, so it wasn't the same area, but generally speaking, the Northeast, the Northeast. And when I went back and I saw just something as basic as the old exit sign for one of um, the places Holly and I used to live, and I just felt so much pressure that I would never have understood that I was under while I was still there because I was in it and I was in the thick of it. And I love the way you described it as being a tether and the tether breaking because my entire life I spent trying to get out of Pennsylvania. I think that 
when you're in a place for so long where people are very similar or the way that they think about things is very specific and you just become sort of an extension of that, whether or not that's what you want, it's really hard to pull yourself away from it, no matter how hard you try. Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, I graduated when the economy crashed and I had every intention to move out to California immediately and pursue a film career. And it was like, no, I need health benefits. <laughs> like, I, You couldn't be on your parents' insurance at the time. So it was like, I don't want to be like living in a box and being afraid of, God forbid, anything happening to me and just trying to make it. And so I opted for more stability. And by doing that, I kept myself in place for a really long time. And I could not be happier that this happened. I just wish it had happened sooner because I would have loved for that tether to have been cut 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. I don't care. I just, I knew that I didn't belong where I was. And being on the West Coast, it's like, this is my vibe. I mean, I just got back from Hawaii and I just keep looking at like the pictures of myself and I have like a baseball cap on for the first time in like, I don't know, 10 years um, because I just look like a little boy in them now. But I I was like, you know, this is who I am. Like I'm going to throw on my Billabong shirt and my sweats and my baseball hat and just like be who I am. I spent so much of my life being told, this is what you should wear. This is how you should look. This is what you should say. This is what you should do. When you get to make the choices for yourself, I can still be a very polite, well-spoken human being wearing sweatpants. Sometimes, yeah. It depends (laughs) on the day. Sometimes I'm just profane and annoyed, but... (laughs) It did really, it really depends on who we've had meetings with. Well, it's, I mean, I, people ask me if I'm going to move back to LA and I say never. That's what I, I've said too. Holly and I are like, would you move back to the East coast? No, no. And it's a big part of it is because I want to keep that tether tethered, like or, uh, the tether broken. Sorry. Yeah. Because if I go back to LA, I'm not far enough from my parents um, that the influence will always still kind of be there, but just like growing up there, it just almost would just bring me back to when I felt like I had to always just um, succeed and not ever fail there. But then here it's just, I don't have that extra set of pressure. And it's really like, now I'm just kind of me against myself. Like I just have to keep pushing myself for myself, not because my parents are in my ears and they're like, yeah, I do this, do that. Like you, you can still be a doctor. And even when I first moved here, my dad's like, there's always a chance you're not too old. You can still be a doctor. And it's like, dude, I got a job. I'm doing fine. Um, but there's always that little, like, even if I tell him really good news about work, like if I get promoted or anything, he's like, oh, that's good. But could have been a doctor or like you could have lived, been living here rent free under like, our household. Get promoted to an MD? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, but it's, it's like that feeling of never being able to like level up in their eyes that I'm like, I I don't think I can ever move back under their influence because I have to kind of just be by myself and learn by myself. And they're very much the type of types that if you fail once, like you can't ever make that mistake again. And I can see myself kind of adopting that as well. Do you think that you put in an extraordinary amount of pressure on yourself, even with the distance, because that's the like sort of ingrained in you? Yeah, totally. It's just, it is ingrained in me that it's so hard to break away from that. And that's the mindset that you, you don't ever just, you just can't even make a mistake, I think is what drives me to always like, like do better, but it's almost like a vicious cycle where it's like, you kind of, I get into like the 
analysis paralysis where I'm like, oh, if I do this, I might fail, but what's the best path forward? Basically trying to have a contingency plan for everything. So if I fail, then I know that at least I have a backup plan. I'm very similar to that. I would say partially because my parents and their expectations of me. And the other part of it is just me being me. Like I'm neurotic. I want things to be done right. I actually uh, was saying to somebody yesterday that I want so badly to be perfect at everything right away, even though logically, I know that's not possible. It's not even realistic. Like nobody's perfect at everything right away, but it stops me from doing things that I would otherwise do because I'm so afraid of failing that if I don't have that contingency plan, whereas if this doesn't work out, then I've at least got this in my back pocket. I mean, to just go out there and be bold and try something without a net is really scary. And to know that you're putting that pressure on yourself is, it's, I, I want to say it's freeing in a way because you know it's not coming from somebody else, but at the same time, it also holds you captive because I think for me, at least personally, it restricts me from doing certain things that I might have done sooner. Like, honestly, even this podcast, like I really, to fail at this is just not an option for me. And a contingency plan is me going back to my day job for the foreseeable future without any sort of idea of how I'm going to keep moving forward with something I can be more passionate about. Do you think that the pressure that you put on yourself is something that has helped you accelerate in in your career in the way that you want? Or do you think that it's possibly been limiting because you're maybe not even exploring all of the potential that you have because of that fear of failure? Um, I would say it's the latter more um, just because I don't, I have that pressure. I have the pressure on myself to not fail that I won't try new things. Um, however, I do think that kind of the first step of like moving from LA to Seattle uh, and just doing a one-way trip or a one-way flight was kind of the first step that I took. I was like, it might fail and I don't have a contingency plan because I quit my job and I sold everything um, that I was like, all right, well, I can do it. And I, I did it and it was kind of proved to myself that it's okay to take these sort of chances. In my career now, um, 100% where it's, it's, it's not even just, I, I, I'm afraid to fail and I'm afraid to start new things, but it's because a, a big part of it is because I don't want to disappoint people. And another part of it is also just because like, I don't know what I don't know. We're really similar in that way. When Holly was asking me if you guys had met yet, and I said, yeah, I think you guys met really briefly one time when you were at our place before. I said, I really enjoy talking to Caitlin because I feel like you remind me of myself in the least narcissistic way possible. (laughs) But I think that you have this ambition that is really, it really radiates from you in a way that is super influential and really enlightens those around you to like what they're capable of because of how you think about things and and like to problem solve and that's why it's been really cool to work with you in a professional capacity but also to get to know you personally because you're also much more I think mature and in tune with yourself than I was at your age and to be honest it's probably because you are spending time with yourself learning about yourself and giving yourself the chance to really find out who the fuck you are because 
without that time, especially coming out of an upbringing that was so structured for you, how could you not just fall in line and do exactly what's expected of you? I mean, you literally said, that's great that that's what you guys want for me, but I'm going to go find what I want for myself. And I think that's really courageous. And I think it's really inspirational and important for people to look at and consider when they're thinking about what it is that they want out of life, because we spend a lot of time trying to people please, whether it's our parents or bosses or siblings or whoever, spouses, it might, it could be anybody. And you don't see enough people, I think, taking the chances to give themselves the opportunity to fail or to find themselves and say, this is why I do it this way, because this is what I like. And I just am really glad that you were able to have this conversation with me and be so candid about your experience and how these things have guided you in your life. One last question before we end the show. What would you say, if you were to have kids, do you think that you would do something differently to help them feel maybe a more healthy connection with their Korean culture because it's something you do want them to still understand or or grow with? Or do you think that you want to raise them a little bit more in what your life has been where it's more focused on trying to kind of find that path for yourself? I would not push the Korean culture on them. I would not push all of these extra holidays we have and kind of the bowing down to the elders and never disrespecting them and not being able to talk back. I grew up without a backbone and it's been really hard for me to kind of get a backbone now that, and I, I now don't let people walk over me, but I would always do that before. That actually surprises me a bit, to be honest with you, because I see your personality now and it's really contradictory of, of, of that concept. I mean, I've seen you feel hesitant to react to things, but you, you have a strong stance. I think the last two and a half years that I've been here, that's where I grew the most. And so, but but back then, like I would never talk back to my parents ever. And I don't, I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling of feeling defeated all the time. So for my kids, when, when they're growing up, I will always say it's okay for them to tell me things. I would ask them to tell me if they got thrown into jail one day um, and I would make it okay. And I would, I would, I would lead by example too. And I would be very open with them about my kind of how I'm feeling, my pitfalls. And just if I'm feeling like sad or anything, I want to show emotion to them because I want them to feel comfortable showing emotion to me. Um, and I, I mean, especially with my parents, because they do speak English, I wouldn't feel as bad if they didn't learn Korean growing up, but just around like dating too, I would say you date you date whoever you want as long as they make you happy. And it's because I've seen marriages like that. I've seen friends who've grown up with a very open family. And I loved it because they're so honest with each other and you don't feel like you have two identities. You don't have, you know, you have the identity with your friends and you have the identity with your parents. Um, and for me and my kids, I, I want them to have one identity. I want them to know who they are um, and just feel comfortable with whatever they want to do growing up. I love that. I think that that was just such a beautiful explanation of feelings that I've had as well for myself. And it's something that I value a lot as far as your perspective, because you can't enforce something on somebody and expect the results that you want if that person doesn't feel it. And 
I understand where your parents have come from uh, in terms of why they they raised you the way that they did. I understand why my parents raised me the way that they did. But when you describe that feeling of seeing other families and their relatives and their closeness, because their closeness wasn't prescribed, it was more organic, right? It wasn't like we have to spend family time together and be a family and like try harder to connect with each other. It was more because you're open and you're authentic and you're vulnerable, you just are closer. But there is something that really validates you as a person when you can walk into a room and show up fully and not feel like you're disappointing somebody. And I think that's for me what resonates a lot about most of what you said today, which is there is a lot of good in our parents and how they raised us that created the strength that we have and our capacity to learn and and deliver things and be successful human beings. But there is also the challenge of feeling constantly like you are just, you know, one mistake away from being a total failure in their eyes. And that's just such an unhealthy way to perceive yourself. And whether or not that is truly how they would feel, the fact that we sense that and our anxiety is bred from that potential feeling is just not the right way to go about your own life. And so I really applaud you for making the changes to your own life that you needed to find yourself in a healthy way to be able to create a world uh, both within you and around you that gives you some sense of humanity and that like unique connection to yourself that you didn't have growing up and that it sounds like you really sought with others to try to collect, you know, how do I fit in here? What's the right thing for me to do? How should I look? What should I be doing to make sure I'm, you know, checking the boxes for whoever I'm around? And and that's so relatable to me. It's not fair that we grow up many of us with that mindset, regardless of the reason as to why we feel like we don't fit in when we are just who we are. And everything that you've said about who you are now and your ability to grow from who you were as a child and, and teenager, it just says a lot about you as a person that you have strength that is admirable and a very strong ethic to to prove yourself to yourself and that you don't owe an explanation to anybody except you. 100%. I really appreciate you joining me for this episode of the Who The Fuck podcast, Caitlin. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who The Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Caitlin Kim for sharing her story and her time. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform like Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and more. Share your email address at whothefck.com to receive important podcast updates. And if you're interested in being a guest, visit whothefck.com slash contact. Until next time. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. 
Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast.